Welcome to today's edition of the Career 100 Podcast. Your host, Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com, will be interviewing professionals each week that are currently working in one of the top 100 careers for 2011. This series is designed to introduce students to different career options that are in demand and share the path each practitioner has taken to arrive in their current position. We want to expose you to the varied and distinguished careers of our guests and to perhaps inspire you to consider following in their footsteps, or better yet, blaze your own trail. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews professionals about how they came to be in the top 100 careers. Hello, it's Felicia Gopal here from College Funding Resource conducting the next installment of the Career 100 podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us today and welcome you to today's call. Today we're going to continue exploring one of the careers that's listed as one of the top 100 careers. I often talk about the importance of students having some idea of their proposed career prior to applying to colleges. However, today's guest is actually going to be talking about how he made the transition from being a linguistics major to computer programming. I think that's a jump that most people don't think about making. So if you've ever wanted to learn more and become a computer programmer, you'll receive some valuable insight today into the profession. My special guest is Michael Marshall, and he's a contributor to Building Your Business with Google for Dummies with Brad Hall. He's a frequent instructor on search engine technologies at the U.S. Patent Office. He's a person who has multiple degrees in a number of different fields that are not related to computer programming, so we'll talk to him a little bit more about how he made that transition. He is a certified search engine marketing specialist and holds degrees in philosophy as well as divinity. So with me today is my special guest, Mike Marshall. Mike, welcome to the call. Thanks, Felicia. Good to be here. All right, great. So let's kind of jump into it. Linguistics to computer programming. That's not a transition that most people think about. So could you tell me a little bit more about how you came to be a computer programmer? Sure. I was actually doing some work in computer programming even before I started college, but the work in linguistics was somewhat helpful in that when you study linguistics, you study a lot about what we mostly know as syntax. That is, the rules of grammar that control how words get put together to make a meaningful sentence, how pieces of words get put together to make meaningful words, things like that. And that has a lot of overlap with understanding computer programming languages, which is a lot of people will tell you that if you understand the principles of computer programming, that learning one language as opposed to another really comes down to syntax. They all have their different syntax rules. So in linguistics, you learn about how various syntax rules will differ between languages and what overlaps are, what some common underlying theories are behind that. And so you're learning a lot of the same stuff that you need in learning different programming languages. So there is an overlap there. I also study philosophy along with linguistics, and there actually are quite a number of people who study philosophy and end up in computer programming for some of the same reasons. In philosophy, obviously, you're dealing a lot with logic, and as you understand and kind of master the fundamental principles of logic and how that works, 
that has direct application to computer programming, regardless of any language that you're using. So with the combination of those two things, really understanding how syntax works in languages and having a good foundation in logic and in some areas of semantics, it actually put me in a really good spot for getting a handle on the fundamental principles of programming as well. I remember you and I had the opportunity to talk, and you were talking about getting your first job as a computer programmer. Would you please share that with our guests today? (laughs) Uh, Yes. You mean the job where I had the interesting interview? Yes. Yeah. So I applied for this job as a programmer. Up until that point, I actually had gone to a business school, did a six-month program in data processing is what they called it then. So I apply for this job, I get the interview, and they ask me a series of questions about the programming language that the job entailed, the types of hardware and machines that they were using, and all kinds of things like that. So they would ask, you know, have you ever worked or programmed on an IBM PC, which is what they were using then, and I said, no. I said, do you understand or have any familiarity with DBase 3, which is the database they were using, and I said, no, I don't. I said, have you ever programmed in a programming language, Perl? And I said, no, I haven't. So the interview started that way and kept going that way. And then I asked them the question. I said, so would you have someone that could train me on any of these? And they said, no, we don't. Then I asked, do you have any books on any of these that I could use to teach myself? And because I had done so well, And that business school, even though it was six months, they looked at my transcript and they figured, well, this guy seems like he's pretty good at catching on to these kind of concepts of different programming languages. We'll give him a shot. So they went and they grabbed a bunch of books. They brought them in and they said, these are the books that we have. Would this be enough for you to teach yourself? And I said, yes. And I said, I could definitely teach myself using these books. And they said, okay, well, we have this report that we need done by the end of the month. That'll be the end of the quarter for us. Can you get up to speed enough to have this report done for us by the end of the month? And I said, sure. So they gave me the job, and that was my first programming job. You know, one of the concerns that students have nowadays is that they don't have the experience. So what you're basically saying is, despite the fact that you had the knowledge of programming, but not necessarily the programming that they were looking for, you still had the confidence to apply for the job and get the job. Right. Um, that's, that's remarkable, and I think that's great news for students who are entering the economy at this point. Right, definitely. If you can show them or convince them that you are self-motivated, that you're a self-starter, and that you are a fast learner, usually they will give you a shot. You know, I can see that. I mean, certainly as somebody who has had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to hire people, those are skills that can't be taught. You either have them or you don't. Right. And it's much easier to work with somebody who is a fast learner who wants to learn and you feel like can get up to speed as opposed to somebody who's got the book knowledge who doesn't have those factors. Oftentimes you find yourself looking for a new employee, you know, six months, eight months down the road because they didn't work out. So I could see that those would be skills necessary in any job, not just as a programmer. So could you tell me a little bit about why you like being a programmer? I like it because in many senses to me, it's like a digital puzzle and problem solving. 
I love puzzles and I love problem solving. So programming is a lot of that, especially when you get to the phase of debugging your program. It is like a giant puzzle, having to unravel what's going on and figure out where the line of code is that's causing the problem and then fixing it. You also obviously use a lot of problem solving skills and I love solving problems. So the one thing that I enjoy about it as well is that even though the programming languages that I use are pretty much the same from month to month, the problems that they're being applied to are very different from month to month. So you have a good balance of something that's kind of steady and the same, but also along with that, you don't get stuck into a rut because the applications that the language is being applied to will vary from month to month. So I like that mix of something that's standard and familiar but also learning new things all the time, new problems and new challenges. I can see that. You know, I've been a financial advisor for 17, 18 years now, and that's one of the things that I really like about that job because it's something where I take knowledge that I've learned over the years, but everybody's situation that I'm sitting across from is different from situation to situation. So it's a matter of taking all the knowledge that I have and applying it in very, very different ways. And it sounds like there's some synergy between computer programmer and what a financial advisor does. Right. Perfect. So if somebody was interested in becoming a programmer, is there a suggested path? Yeah, I think I would probably recommend a number of things. You definitely would want to have some type of courses or training in logic. It will help you quite a bit. And you should probably take your hand at trying to learn at least one programming language, whether it be in high school or college. That's usually offered as like an entry-level language. A lot of times they'll give you Fortran or Pascal or something like that. In many ways, it doesn't matter a whole lot which language you learn first just to get you in, just to help you to become familiar with programming languages in general. But find one, a straightforward one, and take a course in that. That, along with logic, would put you in really good position. There aren't a whole lot of specifics as far as what general subject area you should have. So it doesn't matter whether you, for example, in college, major in business or finance or anything like that, unless you know you want to do programming in a specific industry, then it's good to have that as a background. But if you're not set on one specific industry, you can major in almost anything that you want if you want to go in that direction. Now, if you major in computer science, then obviously that puts you more on a track of really becoming kind of a computer systems engineer. If you want to do programming and the business application sense, you don't need to major in computer science. You could probably do well majoring in something like information systems. And different universities will have different names for that kind of program. Some will be uh, management information systems or business applications programming, things like that. It doesn't require as much math or as much hard science. And when you're doing programming and business applications, it doesn't necessarily require a lot of math in order for you to do that. So that's why they don't require it in the program. So you really want to think carefully about which direction do you want to go in. Do you want to be an applications programmer or do you want to 
like design systems. If you want to go for the latter, then you really do need to major in computer science if you're going to go into that field. So let me just take a minute because I'm not sure that I understand the distinction when you say go into systems. Could you tell me a little bit more about what that means? Right. So one example would be you think of things like a Windows operating system or operating system on a Mac, something like Linux. These are operating systems that enable your computer to run the underlying system that enables that. And okay. there has to be someone that programs those things, right? Or things like right. compilers like that. Those are really low-level systems, and someone has to program that. Those are the types of people that usually graduate with a computer science degree. Okay. Contrast that with someone who is writing a program to automate some data management process or you're designing programs, say, to help with functionality on a website on the back end. So you're programming okay. in things like PHP or ColdFusion, or you're creating a desktop program. So all these different tools that you use, programs like Skype or program like Excel that are productivity programs for business. You don't okay. have to have a degree in computer science to program something like that. You can just know the programming languages that are being used, like uh, .NET or Java or things like that, and you'd be in good shape for doing that kind of programming. And what I heard you say earlier in the interview is that when you're first making the determination to perhaps go into the field as a programmer, you want to learn one language like Fortran or Pascal, but could you also learn Perl or any of those sorts of things if your college offered it? Yes, yes, definitely. Okay. So, and then those skills are transferable. Is it like if you know one language, you can take that skill set and learn another language and then be able to program in that new language? Right, because you have the basic skill set, and then learning another language is just a matter of learning those syntax rules. As long as the first language that you learn is really a full-blown programming language and not scripting language. For example, you could learn JavaScript, which is used on web pages a lot, but that's not okay. really a full-blown programming language. And so if you learn that, it would be a giant leap to learning something like C++ or C Sharp, which is used a lot in business applications. But if you learn something like Fortran or Pascal or BASIC, things like that. Those are full-blown programming languages. And one thing that I would add is that the thing that is used in business applications and also in low-level computer science type stuff is object-oriented programming. And so if your school offers any kind of programming language that really is object-oriented programming, you definitely want to learn that first. And that will put you in good shape to learn pretty much any other programming language that has a high market value today. And I think that's really important because one of the things that I've found to be a little bit surprising is how many people working in the IT field have been laid off in the current economy. But it seems to me that the distinction you were talking about is what is marketable in today's world as opposed to what was marketable perhaps when somebody first entered the industry. So let right. me make a segue there. 
How is it that a student who entered into the field as a computer programmer can ensure that they stay current with what's happening in the industry? It seems to me that that's something that you've mastered. And if it's something that you've mastered, perhaps you would share that with students who are starting to think about coming into the career. Right. One of the things is that you really need to keep tabs on, let's say you're doing something in a particular industry. So I'm in, in general, kind of the Internet, the world of the Internet, specifically Internet marketing. So within your own industry, you need to keep track of new software products that are coming out, especially ones that are successful, that have you know really good adoption rate, and what languages they're programmed in. And because you'll always hear, you know, catch wind of different new programming languages that are being used. Programming language you may happen to use most of the time is being changed, new updates and upgrades, things like that. And if you catch wind of programming language that is becoming very popular, then you should spend your own time learning what that programming language is and developing, you know, just some sample applications just so that you become familiar with it. So, for example, in my space in the world of the Internet, one of the languages that has recently popped up, being used a lot, is Adobe Air, which is basically using kind of Flash and XML and something called ActionScript. And that's being used because it solves a pretty big problem of something being cross-platform. So how do you create a tool, a program, that's going to run on Windows, and run on a Mac, and run on an iPhone, and run on an Android. Using Adobe Air enables you to create a program so you have one set of code, but then that product can be run on all those different platforms. And so that makes it very appealing to a lot of developers. So that's something that I've recently taken upon myself to start using. And I'm developing a product now using Adobe Air. So in any industry that you're in, in any space, you need to keep tabs on what's new that's coming out and any new type of language that is solving a lot of problems and that is having a lot of uh, a good adoption rate. You said something that really kind of resonated with me, which is that you took it upon yourself to go out and learn Adobe Air because you could see that it was solving a problem in the space that you were working in which is Internet marketing. And I think that that's really something that everybody should tuck in their mind and plan to do is it's important to not only come into the industry, but it's also important to stay in the industry. And one of the ways that you stay in is making sure that you are keeping up with the changes in the industry. And sometimes that means paying for and learning stuff on your own time with your own dime. Employers are not always going to see the value of educating you for the job that you're going to go into. They're always interested in the job that you're currently in. So they'll send you to trainings that will keep you current with what you're doing, but not all employers will invest their dollars in training you for a position that you don't even have. Right. They're in a position where they may see something on the horizon, but they're not sure if the company should invest money to go in that direction because it's more costly for them to do that than for a particular programmer to do it on their own. And so the issue would be one of which they know it's on the horizon. And if they see that they have an employee that's kind of a 
self-learner, self-motivated person that goes out and does that, that becomes a very valuable asset to the company because they would much rather, if it does turn out, the industry moves in that direction and they really do need to make use of their programming language, they much rather keep someone on staff that they already know, already proven themselves to be reliable, they already trust, already knows the company, and has explored that area on their own and say, okay, we're going to put you over here and have you programming in this language now rather than finding somebody new and having to employ them because they know that language and they don't know if they're reliable, they don't have a relationship with them, and and so on. So you just make yourself that much more of a valued asset to the company if they know that you're on the side always learning. Perfect. I can see that. So let me ask you personally and professionally, what do you actually do in your position? You're not working for anybody. You're working for yourself. Right. Correct? Correct. So So how did you make that transition? Well, I was working for myself a while ago, and then I joined another company, actually helped start a company, as I stayed in it for two years. And about three or four years ago, I went back on my own again. So... I initially made that transition shortly after, let me think, I guess it was shortly after 9-11, and I lost my new job, which a lot of people lost their job after that. Uh, A lot of people were, a lot of companies were laying off people. And it was really, really hard to find new work during that time. And so I decided to start doing freelance work to make ends meet while I was looking for a full-time job. And it turned out the freelance work just kept growing and I was able to support myself just doing that. So I decided to go ahead and form a company and do that full-time. So that's how I initially made the transition. And at the time I was doing three things. I was doing training in the area of internet marketing, uh, consulting, and I was doing programming. So I was helping people in programming functionality on their website, programs on their server, on the back end. Then I decided to go ahead and start developing my own SEO tools as well. Well, I learned a lot about SEO training from you and learned a lot about the tools. So tell me a little bit about the tools that you created and how that is married to being a computer programmer. Okay. So the tools that I have created for internet marketing really fall into two areas, data analysis and automation. So on the automation part, my programs, they go out and they gather a lot of information from the internet. So instead of you having to do it by hand, going from this web page to the next one, to the next one, reading it, jotting it down, putting it in a spreadsheet, my program goes out, gathers it all for you, and organizes it. So it's a time saver. And then other aspects of my tool are actually data analysis. So once you've got all this information, what kind of meaning can you get out of it? What's important about the information that's gathered and how can I use it for marketing? That's what all of my tools deal with is Internet marketing. And there's a a manual process that most practitioners in the field go through or can go through to analyze all this data. What are my competitors doing and how do I figure out what to emulate from this mass amount of data so that I can improve my website so I get better search results. So my tool does a lot of this data analysis using something called artificial intelligence. And that is something that basically tries to emulate 
some ways that the human mind works in processing information and put that into an algorithm that a program can use. Because in general, a program can handle a lot more data at the same time than the human brain can. So once again, it's another time saver, but also gives you information you couldn't get otherwise. So that's what my tools do. And in the world of programming, especially in the business world, most of the really marketable skills as far as programming have to do with automation and data analysis. If you can do either one of those really well, then there are a lot of companies that will want to employ you, either as a consultant or as an employee full-time. You know, as a business owner, I could testify to that. That is something that I'm always looking for, something that will save me time or automate the way that I'm doing things to ultimately give me a leg up over my competitors. So I could see how computer programming and your tools, and I know that they do help me in those two regards, really does give me a leg up on my competitors. So let me just ask a couple final questions as we get closer to the end of this. It sounds like while, depending upon what way a student is interested in entering, working in the industry, there's really kind of two paths. They can go with a computer science degree, and then they could go more into programming the operating systems for PCs and stuff like that. But if they're looking for a broader way to enter the industry, than perhaps something in IT or even something unrelated but has kind of that basic fundamental thinking process, like, as you said, linguistics was your entree point into the industry. So it sounds like there's really two ways that you've identified a computer programmer could become a computer programmer. Let me ask you, what do you think computer programming is on the list of one of the top 100 careers? I would say probably because most people are aware that one very well-known label for the era that we live in is the information age, and it affects everything in commerce, everything in the way we live, even transforming some ways in which uh, we interact with each other, this whole thing of the information age. And one thing that you need in an age like this is a way to handle, gather, distill, get meaning from all the information that is out there. There's more information available now than there ever has been. Someone, I heard a speaker once recently actually say that if you look at all the information that has been produced, everything that's been published from the beginning of human history up until like the end of the 19th century, so every newspaper, everything written, you take all that up there and you gather it all together and put it in one pile. That same amount of information is produced every day in modern times. That same amount of information is produced every single day. So that's why programming has become such a highly coveted skill because somebody has to figure out some way to organize this information and automate getting it as a time saver and glean some meaning from it. And I don't yes, think that's going to change anytime soon. No, no, it is not. So, Mike, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with us today? I would say probably if you're interested in programming and you have some aptitude for math, 
I would say it would be really important to pay attention to the world of marketing for two reasons. Marketing is trying to respond to its information age too. And one of the things that they're doing more and more of is analyzing huge amounts of data to try to figure out how their customer base is behaving and what their customer base wants. And the two tools that are being used to help with this are math and programming. If you look for an article, I think it was in Business Week, the magazine. The title of the article is called Math Will Rock Your World. You can Google that and you'll be able to find the article. And the article goes over lots of different industries that have been revolutionized by this new type of data analysis. So if you're inclined toward math and you're interested in programming, that's definitely something you should keep tabs on because that's becoming a hugely marketable skill and more and more in demand. All right. So, Mike, I appreciate your time today. And I just wanted to ask you, would you share ways to get a hold of you or would you share some organizations that students could check out if they were interested in learning more about becoming a computer programmer? Sure. Two really good ways to keep in touch with me. One is on Twitter. My Twitter screen name is just Michael Marshall. And you could also email me at Mike, M-I-K-E, at NC, as in North Carolina, dash SEA.com. So you can email me there or you can follow me on Twitter. Um, I don't have any resources off the top of my head that I could give as far as interest in programming, but contact me on Twitter or email and I can send you some info if you're looking for that. All right. Well, I thank you very much. I learned a lot more about the programming field. I learned a lot more about how you became a programmer. And I think you really helped me make the distinction between the two different fields. I think I was really kind of confusing the systems piece with the business application piece. And I was really thinking that they were the same skills and they were doing the same function. But it sounds like they're doing very different functions and there could be very different career paths for each of them. So I know that I learned that, and I'm sure that the students who are listening to this will have learned quite a bit more about computer programming. I thank you very much for your time today, and if you want to learn more about or hear any more of the interviews that we're doing for the Career 100 podcast, keep tuning in to either collegefundingresource.com or my iTunes channel. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast, where we'll continue to interview experts in the top 100 careers for 2011, giving you the insider's view of their chosen profession. If you'd like more information about planning and saving for college and to instantly download your free copy of College Funding Resources Report, Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Kathy Davis for the Career 100 Podcast.